May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Listen, I want to read an email to you that I received from a gal in my small group this week. Um, uh, She emailed this to me, and she's given me permission to read it. So uh, here it is. It says this. Uh, Dear Mike, when my husband and I were looking for a church last summer, we were searching for something different. A place that was full of people following Jesus and not just going to meetings or sitting on committees. My husband felt drawn to your church. I was a little more reluctant, to be honest with you. I remember the first time we came to the park, my husband was so happy. The donuts were great. My kids were excited to go to their classes. The worship was filled with Holy Spirit abandon. However, I was reporting to Jesus why he had sent us to the wrong place and all the things I could find wrong with the church, particularly the sermon. You had started teaching from Romans 10.9. It was basic. The ABCs of faith, admit, believe, confess. I just finished teaching the same passage to a group of sixth graders at vacation Bible school, and then here I am sitting in my late 30s awesomeness, listening to a sermon on the basics of faith. I let Jesus know I was not pleased. I mean, where was my Hebrew definition or historical biblical background? Where was the pastor reading some obscure passage from Habakkuk or Zephaniah? I clearly was way too filled with Bible knowledge for this place. And I might have sat there in my self-righteous tantrum if my Savior hadn't humbled the living daylights out of me. I sat there, arms folded, and looked down the row of people. At the end was a woman sobbing. Hanging on every word you said, I could see all over her face that she had just found out that she could be saved. God allowed my eyes to drift all over the room and see women and men listening so intently, tears in their eyes or on their cheeks, hearing for the first time that they could be forgiven, redeemed, transformed, saved. And then I started crying. In my lonely, self-righteous pity party at the foot of a carpenter king who was nailed to a tree for the bratty daughter now complaining to him, he reminded me that people are in need of saving. Jesus came to save, and we had come to a church that was actively seeking to save people. All my knowledge and know-how and obscure passages can't compare to the cross. I had almost moved just far enough away to not see the power of the cross anymore. I had almost forgotten how beautiful it was to meet my Savior. So I'm glad we are here. Thank you for continually reminding me that Jesus wants to see people in heaven. Thank you. And she signs her name. How awesome was that? You know, and honestly, I wonder how many of us are in danger of moving just far enough away that we no longer see the transforming power of the cross anymore. See, the problem is, 
that after we become a Christ follower for a while, you know, like maybe five years, you know, maybe longer, we forget what it's like not to be a Christ follower. And so our familiarity with the cross prevents us from being marveled by the cross. From being just bowled over by its power and its sheer weightiness. Uh, you know, and literally, God help us if we ever stop being moved by the story of Jesus being crucified on the cross. God help us if that happens. And look, and I'm not saying that, you know, we've got to sit there and sob, but every time we hear the story of Jesus, it ought to move our hearts. It ought to stir something inside of us. We ought to stand in awe and not just, you know, tolerate the pastor until he can just get onto something more relevant to my life. And see, the deal is, is that if left unchecked, that whole mindset can lead us down a road where our Christianity becomes all about how much we know and how well we behave while our love for Christ grows cold. And ironically, there was a first century church in the Greek town of Corinth that was in much the same boat. The people in that church had gotten their eyes off of the Savior and onto themselves. You know, so they were spending their time arguing about, you know, lawsuits between members of the church, uh, you know, what was appropriate in the worship service, what wasn't, um, spiritual gifts, and who was the greatest apostle, and, you know, that kind of thing. And Paul writes them, he reminds me, he's like, whoa, 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 you're missing the point. The point is that Jesus died for your sin, and not just for yours, but for all of the people who aren't sitting in church with you today. Look how he puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1.18. Look, look at the verse here. It's in your sermon notes. He says this. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, he's got to remind them. He says, Hey, guys, look, there's a lot of people out in the world. They think the message of the cross is it's just foolishness. They think it's a crutch for the less intelligent. They think it's an opiate for the masses. They think it's a manipulation tool by the religious right to forward their own agenda. He says, but for us who are already Christ followers who know, it is the cross is the power of God. That's what he's saying here. And so, if I realize that I might have become one of those people that is no longer moved like I should be by the story of the cross, well, what can I do? How can I get that feeling back? Well, let me share, you, share with you a couple of ways. A couple of ways that have worked for me. Here's the first. Number one. Get close to lives that are changing. Get close to lives that are changing. Look what the Bible says in Acts 2, 46 and 47. The Bible says this. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we usually use these verses when we're talking about making a dual commitment to you know, going to church and going to small group. Okay? Because that's basically what they were doing. They were meeting daily in the temple courts, and then they were going to people's homes to break bread. Okay, Church and small groups. But what I want you to notice about this passage this morning is that these people had an excitement about their Christianity. I mean, when they went to church and they went to small group, look what the Bible says. It says they went with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Look, they were not numb to the story of the cross. I mean, for heaven's sake, they were leading other people to become Christ followers like every day. See, look, here's, here's the important part I want you to know. What do you think it was that kept their excitement up? What do you think it was? They were around people every day whose lives were being changed. I mean, can you imagine how exciting that must have been? I, you know, so... They're, to, to be sitting next to someone in church who is just discovering for the first time the joy that comes from making a commitment to following Christ and letting him into their lives to change them. And how exciting that is. How motivating that is. And then to see it happen to someone else the next day. And then to see it happen again the next day. And then to see it happen again the next day. I mean... How exciting, how motivating, how inspiring that must have been in that church those early days. I mean, think about it. For the, remember the lady, the email I just read to you? What was it that stirred her heart? It was when she looked down the row and saw someone's life being changed. Because when, you get, when she got close to someone's life being changed, the Lord used that to warm her heart towards the story of the cross. And God will do the same thing for you. When you can get close to these other people's lives that are being changed, it will warm your heart because it's exciting to see what God is doing in their hearts and lives. It's inspiring. It's motivating. And when you see God changing other people's lives, man, I'm telling you, it rubs off on you. And so... Let me give you a couple of ways that you can get close to people whose lives are changing. Here's the first. Open up to people in your small group. Open up to people in your small group. Look, we're getting to that point in the small group semester where, honestly, everybody should start feeling a little bit more comfortable with one another. So you know what? This week at small group, open up and tell people in your group how God's changing your life. Do that this week. And... Here's the deal. When you open up, someone else, it'll free them to open up as well. And then after they open up, you'll begin to see how God is changing their lives. And it's exciting. It's motivating. It's inspiring. It rubs off on you and inspires you to make even greater changes in your own life. So open up this week in small group. Okay. Here's the second thing that you can do, and that's this. Invite people to come to church on Easter. Invite people to come to church on Easter. I mean, you know, look, it's next Sunday, and in your seat are five invite cards to come to Easter service. So look, more people are willing to come to church on Easter Sunday than, honestly, any other single Sunday of the year. 
So if, there's, if you have a neighbor or a friend or a family member or a coworker that you've been wanting to invite for a long time, next Sunday is literally, it is the perfect Sunday to invite them to come. And next Sunday, I'm starting a five-week series called Evidence That God Exists. And so for five weeks, we're going to talk about ways that we can know that God is real. And I'm telling you, it is going to be convincing and compelling. So invite them to come. Now, on that same note, next weekend, because it's Easter, we're also going to have two Saturday night services at 4.30 and at 5.45. They are going to be exactly like the Sunday morning service. And so look, if you can come on Saturday or if you can volunteer on Saturday, we'd really appreciate it if you would, because that, first off, helps you avoid the crowd, but second off, it helps free up a seat for someone that usually doesn't come to church that might not come on Saturday night. They might only come on a Sunday. And so if you can come Saturday or volunteer on Saturday, that would really be great. And we really appreciate it if you do that. But look, here's the thing. Here's why getting close to people whose lives are changing is so effective. Here it is. It's because the cross offers hope of a different and better life than I have now. The cross offers hope of a different and better life than I have. Now look, I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life or whether you're already a Christ follower or whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time. The cross offers hope of a different and better life than you have now. That's why it's so exciting to get around these people whose lives are changing because it reminds us that the cross of Jesus Christ offers a hope of a different and better life that I am now living no matter where I am in my spiritual journey. And so let me just pause and ask you this question. Has there ever come a time in your life when you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, first, to forgive you, and then second, pledge your life to following him? Because that's what it means to be a Christ follower. Now look, if you're wanting and you're willing to ask him to forgive you, but you're not really willing to follow him, then the truth is, you're not ready to become a Christ follower. Not yet. Because when Jesus offers forgiveness, the expectation is, is that you follow him as a response of thanks. Now look, don't get this messed up. You don't follow Jesus to earn forgiveness. You follow Jesus with a heart of gratitude because you have received forgiveness. And there's a very imp- that's a very important distinction. But to expect to have forgiveness without following, it means really one of two things. It either means that, first, you don't understand the magnitude of what Jesus did at the cross, or you don't understand the magnitude of the gravity of your own sin. Because you see, it was the blackness of your own sin and mine that put Jesus on the cross. I mean, the truth is, you and I, we should have been crucified for our sins. We should, but Jesus took our punishment for us and offers us his forgiveness for all of our sin. But he expects us to follow him in return. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And so if you've never made that commitment, but you're ready to do that today, There's a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower on the back of your message notes at the bottom. If you've never prayed that sample prayer before, pray it now. Pray it right now. Become a Christ follower today. It'll change your life.
And when you get around other people whose lives are changing for Christ, I'm telling you, it's exciting, it's inspiring, it's motivating, it rubs off on you because the cross offers hope of a different and better life. And when you see other people cashing in on that, pro- on that promise, it motivates and inspires you to do more of the same. So get close to people's lives who are changing, okay? Now, there's a second thing that you can do so that the cross becomes real and you can get that feeling back again. Second thing is this, is I need to put myself in the story. Put myself in the story. Look, if you find yourself in a position where the cross has become too familiar, then I would encourage you, relive the story of the crucifixion by putting yourself somewhere in the story, okay? So as you read the story in the Bible about the cross, put yourself somewhere in the story and think about maybe how you would have responded, or think about how maybe you would have wanted to have responded. For instance, if you were in the Garden of Gethsemane with the 11 disciples, would you have fallen asleep while Jesus was praying and asking you to pray as well? When Judas showed up and betrayed Christ, what would you have done? Would you have drawn your sword like Peter? Or would you have run like some of the other disciples? Or, you know, if you were a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling body that were just looking for an excuse to execute Christ, when they brought all sorts of witnesses to give false testimony testimony against Jesus, and you were sitting there listening to it, what would you have done? I mean, would you have raised your hand and said, this is not true? Would you have just passively sat there and just watched it happen. Um, if you were in the crowd that day that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him! Would you have shouted too? Or would you have just been silent? If you were one of the Roman soldiers that was tasked with leading Jesus and the other two thieves up the hill and saw Jesus struggling under the burden of carrying the cross, what would you have done? If somewhere in that walk, Jesus had caught your eye and stared right at you, what would you have felt? If when you got to the top of the hill, you were given the hammer to nail Jesus to the cross, would you have done it? Would you have done it just bawling? Or would you have just carried out your duty? What if you were in that crowd on the top of the hill that day and you were just standing by Mary who was just falling apart? Would you have fallen apart too? How would you have felt watching all of that go down right around you? You see, when you can put yourself at some place in the story, it can make it fresh for you like you've never felt it before and like you want to feel again. So let me give you a couple of quick practical ways to do this. Here's the first. Read the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus 
and put myself in different elements of the story. I've listed the passages in the Bible where the story of the crucifixion is, is contained. So I've put them there for you. Read these passages of Scripture. Read these verses. And read them slowly. Put yourself in the story. Do that this week, getting ready for Easter. Second, here's the second thing you can do, and that's this. Watch the passion of the Christ and put myself in scenes of the movie. Now look, if you've never seen this movie, let me warn you, it is rated R for a reason. Okay? It is not for kids. And honestly, I never recommend rated R movies. I never even see rated R movies. But I'm going to recommend this one because the truth is, what happened to Jesus merits a rated R rating. And here's the deal. I honestly believe that what happened to Jesus in reality was even more graphic than what happened in the movie. It was horrible. Extremely painful. It was cruel at every turn. But I encourage you to watch it this week. And and when you do, put yourself in some of those scenes. Think about how you would have felt, how you would have responded within that story. Okay? Because look, here's the thing. Here's why this is so powerful. It's because the cross offers a chance to put myself in the right perspective. It offers a chance to put myself in the right perspective because, look, when I visualize the cross and what happened, and I think about what happened before the cross, and I think about what happened after the cross, it is then and only then that I begin to understand how much the Father and the Son sacrificed for me. You'll begin to understand how much the Father and the Son sacrificed for you. And when you see that in a fresh new way, it moves your hearts. It becomes real again. It is then that you begin to see yourself as someone in desperate need of saving. Because without Jesus, life would be hopeless, be miserable. It would be filled with regret and shame over choices that we wish we had never made. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Nothing puts you in the right perspective than the cross. So I want to wrap it up today by just reading passages of Scripture. Follow along with me as I read. Matthew 26, 39. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Matthew 26, 46 and 50. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemai sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 6-8 You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Therefore, in Acts 2, 36-38, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and, Pe- and said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Philippians 2, 8-11 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.